Hi, everybody. Welcome to Coach's Corner. Thank you so much for joining me. Just want to remind you of a couple things that are happening this coming September, October. In September, we start our next class of the Elementum Coaching Institute. So if you are a coach, an aspiring coach, or you really just want to take a completely transformational program that will uplevel your, your skills in all aspects of your life, so you're better at work, better in relationships, better at your relationship with yourself, then apply at elementumcoachinginstitute.com. And also my retreat, my women's retreat, we are starting to fill up. It is the second weekend in October. And I mean, there are no words to describe this retreat other than life-changing. If you feel a connection to me, if you're wanting to really catapult your life in all aspects and feel more connected to your freedom, your spirituality, your self-expression, if you want to let trauma go for good, then I highly suggest you join me, christinehassler.com slash signature retreat. Let me tell you about my guest today. Her name is Philippa Murphy. She is an infant gut health specialist and postnatal practitioner. And I share the story in the interview of how she and I got connected. She was super helpful to me during a challenging time. And she puts forward information that isn't very mainstream. She actually advised me of things that were opposite what doulas, lactation consultants, midwives were telling me. And this isn't about a right or wrong. This is just about what ended up working for me. And whether you're a new mama or a veteran mama, or you intend to have children someday, I think you'll find today's episode very interesting. And my intention on the show is to bring you information like a buffet. I put out a spread, you decide what works for you. Anything that doesn't work for you, you leave behind. Again, this isn't about right or wrong. This is about what's right for you. So let me tell you a little bit more about Philippa. Like I said, she's an infant gut health and postnatal practitioner, a lactation consultant, certified nutritional health coach, and an accepted trainer of health visitors and feeding specialists in the UK. She's a five-time author with her best-selling book, Baby Cues, Prevent and Remedy Colic, Reflux, Lactose, and Dairy Overload Naturally. She's the founder of the revolutionary Baby Cues Postnatal Evolution, which emphasizes four global health campaigns that are remarkably evolving postnatal education and preventative intervention. These campaigns all come from the child's perspective with the two main pathways focusing on cue-led communication and response and digestive understanding and balance. And today we're going to talk about infant gut health and we're going to talk a lot about gas and breastfeeding and how to make our babies more comfortable. Because one of the things I was told when I had a new infant is it's normal for them to be uncomfortable with gas. It's normal for them to be spitting up a lot. Reflux is normal and common. And I just saw my baby in a lot of discomfort and my mama's intuition was like, mm, she's uncomfortable and I want to help her. And Philippa was the person that really helped me. So I hope that she helps you too with the information. Also, Philippa is offering my listeners a 15% off discount on all her books and the masterclasses with code Christine and baby cues. If you go to christinehasler.com slash baby, and I will put that link in the show notes. Before we dive in, I want to thank and acknowledge a, another helpful partner of mine, which is Organifi. I love Organifi. I love their products, especially since we've been traveling. It's been so great to bring a bunch of green juice and red juice and immunity packets and be able to have my healthy nutrition on the go. Remember, you can get all of your Organifi products at 20% off any order, not just your first order at Organifi.com slash over it or use promo code over it at checkout. That's O-R-G-A-N-F-I.com slash over it. All right, and now on to my conversation with Philippa. Philippa, welcome to the show. I'm happy to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me, Christine. It's lovely after spending so much time with you already. Thank yeah. you for having me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I shared in the intro, I was going to be sharing the story of how you and I got connected. So I'll start with that. So there was a day on Instagram and I post Athena in my stories, not super frequently, but you know, maybe a couple of times a week. I don't share too much, but there was a, a post where she was in her Bjorn little bouncer chair and she was probably three and a half months old. And I was really in it. She was on a nursing strike. I was pumping around the clock and especially in the afternoon through the evening, she just got so unsettled. And our nights were really, really hard. And she just, since she was born, always had trouble with gas. And a lot of it was attributed to a tongue tie. And I think it's just, I just think it's one of her things. You know, we all come in with our things to deal with. 
And you sent me a very, very lovely text because a lot of people give you parenting advice over Instagram, but some way you were able to do it that <laughs> didn't feel offensive. It just felt supportive. And you said that leg pedaling is an indicator of gas. This is really my specialty. I can help you if you want. And we, we set up a beautiful consultation call. And I think I was in tears within five minutes, maybe one minute. And I just felt really, really seen and really heard. And especially as a new mom and a mom that desperately wanted to breastfeed and a mom that really saw my baby was in pain. And I was doing everything I could to try to get her out of pain. It just felt like I had, I had support. Um, so thank you for that. And thank you for helping me through a difficult time. And you were there when Athena came back to the breast, which is very exciting. And I'm still breastfeeding now. She's almost 17 months. Yeah. And you really helped with her, her digestion as well. And so you know, as a new mom, I know I have lots of moms or soon to be moms listening, um, many moms that are way past the burping and breastfeeding years. But for the moms that are, are new moms or pregnant or going to be moms, I, I like to bring um, information forward that maybe isn't as mainstream um, and that isn't as talked about. And you're definitely one of those people. So thank you for, for being here today. Uh, you're most welcome. It's a pleasure to be here and a pleasure to help you you know, yeah. with Athena, I know, I remember your desperation, you know, and so many of our families find themselves there seeking help, trying to find those right answers and still struggling sometimes with those answers, not seeing the results. So yeah, to get Athena back to the breast, I remember that day it was, you know, when you started to pump milk that you were meant to, and we had to really work, didn't we? I mean, it wasn't an easy fix for sure. It took time and it often does, you know, I think we, we are in a society, would you agree, Christine, where we kind of accept, expect instantaneous results, but we're talking yeah. about biology, aren't we? And we're talking yeah. about mechanisms, functions for sucking, uh, the impacts that that has on the baby's digestive system. So if, as an infant gut health practitioner, that's what I work with mainly, and we really helped Athena to feel more comfortable in order to help her you know, suck better um, and cope better on the breast. And yeah, yeah. it was a long journey. Yeah. Hey. Mm. yeah, it was. I mean, looking back, I definitely by six months, there was such significant results. And then by the time she started solid and we really got on a, a, a clear solid program, she, you know, it really hasn't been an issue for her. And I was, I was lucky like her breastfeeding strike. Well, breastfeeding for me, as you know, was incredibly painful in the beginning. And, and she was kind of, having more and more difficulty. And then at three months, she was just like, nope, I will only take a bottle. And luckily I had a good milk supply. So that wasn't one of my challenges. Thank goodness. I didn't have mastitis. I didn't have low supply. Like, I'm so grateful for that. But yeah, when that, that month where she just didn't nurse at all, it was, it was also such a hormone drop. Cause I went from having oxytocin which was the only thing getting me through sleep deprivation to like overnight having none of it and just pumping, which is literally so draining. And I was pumping a lot to keep my milk supply up and between what you shared with me and then some really profound cranial sacral sessions. And I think also it was just surrender. Like I was so attached to her breastfeeding. I was so committed and I wanted it so bad. And I think my attachment was creating anxiety that she was of course feeling because mom and baby are not really separate, even though the baby's out of the womb. And it was, it's all energy. And it was on a trip when Steph was away and I had the night before just had a big cry and I just grieved, I grieved breastfeeding. And I said, okay, I will pump for at least a year. We'll give her my milk and I have to accept like, this is who she is. And this is part of her journey. And it was in that surrender that very next day, I was just laying in bed with her and, and she just hopped back on. And that was that. <laughs> yes, and you're away. And I think, you know, it, it is a symbiotic relationship. You know, yes, you can look at that, the mechanism, if there's a tongue and lip tie. You know, I just had a mum last week, three-week-old, not gaining weight for, since birth, just reached birth weight at three weeks of age. Yes, mum has hormonal issues. However, she was pumping okay but baby was not putting on weight. So feed more often was what was being taught, you know, or mm -hmm. told to her. But That's no, was to me nothing, too. Was, nothing was mm -hmm. happening. You know, mm -hmm. nothing was happening. Baby's weight was not. So we need to look at the mechanisms here. And the, but this particular baby had apparently had a check 
But what we need to be aware of as parents is that not all health professionals, midwives, GPs, uh, et cetera, are trained in diagnosing a tongue or a lip tie. And this particular baby has gone on to the dentist, pediatric dentist, and found to have a lip tie, a tongue tie, and two teeth ties. And we are finally working at getting this baby back to the breast. Mm -hmm. And of course, we've had to bottle feed. But like, you know, that pumping and it just takes its toll. And we do ride on oxytocin for around six to seven weeks. I find that's the kind of crunch where hormonals really do seem to, to drop. But it can be sooner, of course, if you've already got hormonal you know, problems like endometriosis or perhaps you've had cyst on ovaries and problematic periods but not being able to define the problem. Then potentially, like it was for me, I had a hormonal endometriosis and my supply was great for three weeks and then it just plummeted and there was nothing, nothing on earth that I could do to establish that. So like you, I had to mourn breastfeeding and Mm -hmm. it's a massive, it's a massive undertaking because like you, it was all I wanted to do, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but surrendering, I realized that because I had to, I had no choice but to move to bottles. I was getting 20 mils, 30 mils. That was it, you know? Every time I pumped, and I was pumping a lot, (laughs) I was throwing everything at it. And when I went to bottle feeding, I realized how much I had been missing out on of my son's journey and his beauty Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I had become so focused at what my wish was, Mm -hmm. despite what the physical world was showing me that I just could not do this. So I really feel for anyone who's listening to this and going through that transition because. It's not easy. Be gentle on yourself. It's hard to surrender, you know, even just making that step and mm-hmm. working with what is rather mm-hmm. than what we, our expectation of ourselves is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a huge one. Thank you for sharing that story. Cause I think that there's a lot of women who are going through that. And I can even think of myself just being so focused on something and missing out. Like I go back to videos of her when she was that age. And it's like, oh my gosh, was I even there? Or was I so thinking about all these other things that I wasn't as present as I could have been? You know, obviously we can't go back and rewind time, but even even now um, she's teething. She just got her molars and now the canines are coming in and I'm like, oh my gosh, are we going to get a break? And and she's, (laughs) she's such a little worse. She can be sick and be pretty okay. But teething for her is, is just, it just gets her. And, you know, so our nights aren't as, as, as solid as they normally are. And, but I, because of previous experiences, I'm like, okay, I'm tired. We're in a rough time, but I'm going to be really present because I'm not going to miss another moment. So I think that that's really important for, for, it doesn't matter if you're a mom or not, this is a lesson for everybody. Like, where are you fixated on what's going wrong and what you'd like to be different and you're not really appreciating all the grace and beauty in your life that's happening right now. Right in front of your eyes, you know, that you lift that veil that is your mind sometimes that gets heavy and continual and place it to one side and actually see, actually see, you know, and I think in some ways in our busy world as moms and dads, you know, we've got so much in our heads that we do not see, like really, truly see. And that's how I discovered these six wing cues. I'm not sure if we'll talk about them, Christine, but, you know, one of my discoveries is that all babies have these six wing cues uh, from birth and caused by wind, trapped air in the stomach. And when I discovered those, it was literally because of being so present because that's all I was there to do was look after these newborn twins as a maternity nurse and I specialized with twins so I had two babies at that time being able to watch them feel the movements in their systems look at the corresponding reactions within their body and then bring that all together to go oh my gosh I can't believe what I'm seeing because it was really quite surreal for a start to discover what I did but as I started working with it, you know, being present with our babies is, um, can show us so much can, but because we're so busy trying, especially as mums trying to do it all more so these days than probably a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. a few 
decades ago, we kind of, we do miss those things. And we also, again, coming back into that site that, um, what I mentioned before, with expecting those quick fixes. And it is a process often. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. So I want to, we're going to talk about burping. We may talk about breastfeeding a little more if we have time. Before we do that though, I read your bio in the intro, but I'd love for people to know, because you know, we may be saying some things that are different from what people have heard from even a lactation consultant or their midwife or their OBGYN or their pediatrician or other burping videos that they've seen. So let's just start with you. You mentioned you're a you know, uh, maternity nurse. So that's, that's, that's one. What is your background and what are your qualifications? Yes. So um, maternity nursing was something I did, I started in, but overall I'm an infant gut health practitioner My qualifications are that I am a certified lactation consultant. So I'm at the level where I can become an IBLC if I'd like. So I can take the test um, and exam. So I've done 90 hours of training. I know everything that an IBLC knows. I just haven't taken the test, basically. I am a certified nutritional health coach. And my foundational training is child development and psychology, and I'm also, because I love baby massage, I'm also a international baby massage instructor. So, um, but I also have other things as well. Like I'm trained in Reiki because I believe energy matters uh, mm-hmm. within practices with babies and being, again, being present. So uh, there is a aspect of my work where it's kind of, it's not all intuitive, but it becomes intuitive as well, especially when I'm working hands-on with babies. But that kind of summarizes mm. my qualifications. I'm a five-time author. I've written self-help parent books, both for solids and for preventing what I call digestive overload, which is the cause of uh, colic, reflux, silent reflux, uh, the witching hour, and some cases of misdiagnosed CMPA, uh, CMPI, sorry, cow's milk protein intolerance, which is rife the misdiagnosing of it is rife and leading our, some babies down to an, a path, medical pathway that is unnecessary. So, but there are true ones as well. So it's defining the difference, obviously, always, um, you know, is it hunger? Is it digestive overload? Are we dealing with an intolerance, an allergy? You know, you're, it's quite broad. So I hope that explains it a little. I've been in this field now for over 30 years and maternity nursing was really I actually started as a nanny with my child development psychology training. And then from there, I actually got invited to work with a family in the UK as a maternity nurse specializing with twins. And they knew that I'd had newborn experience, but I'd never worked with twins. (laughs) (laughs) And so, but they took a leap of faith in me and I and them. And we went through that journey for three months together. So you live in the family's home. And when they bring the babies home from hospital, or sometimes my work was helping them nurse baby out of hospital, nurse the babies out of hospital into home. And then I'd be doing 24 hours a day, six days a week, working with these babies, hands-on, supporting mum, dad, family, any siblings, but mainly there for the babies. Mm. So it was during that time I made my original discoveries about ear and track gas and in the search of trying to find answers for babies that were crying and screaming and desperate and obvious pain and everything we were being taught back then just didn't seem to tick the box fully. And I couldn't really believe that nature could get it so wrong, Chris, mm. thing. you know, that, that there was this lack of an immature digestive system. How can we all have this, be born with this lack? Surely our perception is wrong. And mm. so it was through desperation really that I ended up and through the baby's communication, I just couldn't end up, you know, you couldn't ignore what was right in front of you. So Mm -hmm. I started to find ways working with each of them. And because I had two babies, you know, I could try one thing on one and see if it worked for the other. And uh, so slowly I discovered that there were these six wing cues, which I now teach today through my clinic Mm. and in my book. And yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about these. Cause this was huge for Athena and I, especially because, you know, she was uncomfortable and I have to say like, it didn't solve everything. And sleep was really an issue until I did a whole sleep program that yes. was very different from the traditional cry it out sleep training mode. And I'll probably bring her on as well. Um, Cause she was so helpful. 
And it also was like accepting who Athena is. I mean, her name is Athena. Like she told me her name. Like she is a fiery, ready to live life baby, you know? And, you know, I think that knowing that so much of her discomfort actually was gas and the way that I was trying to comfort her and trying to burp her wasn't helping. And I was also told just feed her more, feed her more because she wasn't on the growth curve. But this is another thing. Like, what is that growth curve based on? How many babies are, you know, and, and like what ethnicities and where in the world and are they formula fed? Are they breastfed? And what I've seen about Athena is she's just smaller. She's just a smaller frame, you know? And I was so trying to, I was making myself crazy by trying to keep her up. And I think you remember my friend back. She's like, how about we just focus on how healthy she is? I'm like, yes. Yeah. This obsession with weight starts early. (laughs) She's thriving. She's doing well. She's hitting her milestones. But I learned and you helped me learn that. And we'll get to, I want to get to the six wind confused and then we'll circle back to breastfeeding that. Yeah, no, I'm fine. Trying to feed her every time she was fussy was actually making things worse. And I was, I was misinterpreting hunger cues for wind cues. I thought they were hunger cues, but they were actually wind cues. So let's go through those six. Yes. So there are six wind cues we're all born with. Some of them pop in at certain weeks. Uh, So first of all, everyone knows of the windy steer. Most parents, it's been handed down for generations. And it's, it's one that I started with knowing in my career that whenever babies have wind, they, you know, turn up the corners of their mouth and look like a, sorry, not, not windy steer, windy smile. Everyone kind of knows the windy smile. And so that was where I thought, well, if there's this cue, then perhaps this cue is also because I'd, I would place my hands on their tummy and I'd feel the movement of the ear and then I would put them into a certain position and they would burp and then this cue would disappear, you know. So when our babies are first born, one of the biggest wind cues you will see is the big windy stare. And that's eyes wide open, massive sources, they look adorable. And when we burp our babies well, then that when they will close their eyes and then when the wind moves or kind of blink a little more but usually at newborn they'll close their eyes and then when the wind moves up in those first few weeks their eyes will open again and you'll need to release the air for their eyes to close so this can be why some parents might be trying to put their baby down and they know they're tired they know they've been up for a number of hours an hour or so and they're ready for sleep but they just will not close their eyes Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they need but they need that air released So the windy stare is there from birth and goes right through until wind starts taking a back seat in in that queue at around three months, but can still be seen. It's just slightly different. And there's more about that in my book. Then there's the windy smile, of course. There's going and garring, which is incredible. So wind is the catalyst to language in my research, my clinical research. Um, The wind comes up. And around anywhere from seven to 10 weeks. Um, but that's not precise either. You know, um, it can happen at 11 weeks. But baby brings the wind up and it vibrates the vocal cord. And that vibration then brings sound. And, you know, I'm going to make some. So we've all heard it, you know, you know, kind of going and garring. And when they release that burp, they can no longer make the sound. Mm. And then wind will come back up again and vibrate. And so wind trapped air is the catalyst to language is my, what my, my research shows. And then we have, what else do we have? We have rolling, fluttering eyes. Yes, it's shown to be a dream state for sure. Um, research shows us that, but it also shows you that wind is ready for release as well. And then we have one that is is that probably the one, Christine, that got you thinking that Bubs was hungry is the, Athena was hungry, was the, is the chewing motion with the mouth and poking out the tongue. So that does not signify hunger for anyone listening. It actually signifies the wind is sitting high in the body again. Um, so by in the body, it's either sitting in the esophagus or high in the stomach, ready for it to be released. Uh, So learning how to burp our babies really well, and this is what isn't taught, one of those things that parents hear very little about. Um, You know, some are taught that breastfed babies don't need to burp, or if you haven't got a burp in 10 minutes, then baby has no wind. 
which you know now, Christine, is, you know, certainly not the case. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, so, there's a lot of things that we're told that, you know, and again, this is just, it's no, it's not um, making anyone wrong. It's more no. about just educating. Yeah. Well, it's evolving, you know, everything evolves. And if we stay stuck, then, you know, when there's new information and that new information can be proven right there in the moment with your baby, I think we have to evolve and yeah. incorporate that. And because it's for the betterment of our human race and the stress that it can diminish, the it can, you know, trapped air is a huge contributor to colic, reflux, silent reflux. So it's certainly a piece of the puzzle. Um, but even without those that all parents really need to know about are these cues, how to work with them and how to release that air um, because yeah. it affects so much feeding, sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Can you go through some of the burping techniques? I know it's hard to do because we're not visual here, but the whole, you know, whenever I see someone burping their baby by throwing them over their shoulder and patting, I just want to like, like go and be like, can I please help you burp this baby? <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, I do it so much. And uh, so many of my mums will say, gosh, I just want to, you know, I can see a mum struggling and I want to go over, but you've such a delicate situation, isn't it? Because we don't want our mums to feel like, or dads to feel like they're doing it wrong either. So, um, but it, there are certainly ways. And so yes, petting, for example, uh, we would rather rub a baby with the flat, you know, your palm and you're going to rub them with a bit of a cupped hand so that the spine has very little pressure on it as you go up. And most of the pressure is on the sides of the body. So if they're in a sitting position on your knee, for example, which I call the Buddha um, Buddha baby, then you would rub up from the bases of the spine up to the shoulders and in a firmish, like slightly less than a firm handshake kind of pressure. And what that does is it just allows a slight movement of the body and therefore an evoking of the diaphragm to help with the push of the wind to escape. Um, but when we pat our babies, we break the wind down into smaller pockets. We um, also, I mean, if we think about ourselves, it would drive us up the wall to be patted on the back that much throughout the day. We would be, our whole nervous system would be on edge and we'd probably be screaming at the person, would you stop? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it doesn't to me it's a lot more soothing uh for the whole nervous system to have a rub Mm -hmm. rather than a pat as well one thing I was told with and Athena didn't really have reflex or colic necessarily she wasn't that bad she was just uncomfortable and when she's uncomfortable she is just not happy which and who would be like I'm not comfortable and I'm not happy when I'm uncomfortable and another thing that I was told is after feeding her hold her upright for 30 minutes Oh, yes. Let's talk about that. Yes. So it's actually adverse for our baby's comfort. So when we hold our babies up for 30 minutes, the thought is that it will then reduce refluxing, which, by the way, there are natural levels of reflux that our baby does simply because the wind sits underneath the milk that they're swallowing. We know it's been shown on MRI scans, I think it is, that when a baby swallows milk, a breast or bottle, they take in a little bit of air. It's shown. So when a tongue and lip tie happens, for example, that's that that rate of air goes up. They take in more air. Now, because that wind, that air sits underneath the milk, it has to come out, you know. So it's going to bring up some milk sometimes, and that's natural. What you don't want to see is copious amounts of milk. But um, in terms of holding our babies up for 30 minutes, what then happens is uh, that, that they don't get the chance to release that big pocket of air that's sitting in there or even the smaller ones. And they have a copious amount of air in there. They have a propensity to have aerophagia uh, in the first months of life. Up to six months, it really starts to lessen and reduce, but then it depends what you're doing with solids as well. However, so when um, we hold our babies upright for 30 minutes, that wind doesn't get released as well. And so that can mean that babies bringing up milks still at an hour, an hour and a half after their feed or two hours even because they're not releasing that air. So I teach parents to actually burp right from the word go. 
and in my book, and I've got a burping and gas masterclass as well that you can watch, whereby I show you how to burp baby directly after the feed. Um, without, yes, there's going to be a little bit of reflux, but it doesn't mean they have gastroesophageal reflux disease. Okay. <laughs> there's a difference here. And one is medicated, and actually, um, the disease is very rare. Not that you'd know that in the world these days. And the other one, you know, we can heal naturally, which is what I do in clinic. So, yes, so if you've heard hold your baby up for 30 minutes, I, yeah, I wish that one would certainly get lost in our world because it is not doing our babies a service yeah. at all with their, with their comfort. Mm. Yeah. And one of the things that really, you know, shocked me, and I actually learned this from Dr. Golly too, who's another practitioner over in that side of the world, he's Australian, about how like you actually lay your baby down and let the gas build and then you pick them up and that's often how you get a burp. And you, you talked about how just burp her all day long, like on the changing table when you get up, so you can get a burp out, you know, yes. you lie her down, you're working on tummy time, she's on her back, you bring her up, you get a burp out. And, you know, we would rub her back. We <laughs> a lot of her onesies that she wore back then have all those little balls on the back from like rubbing yes. her back so much to try to get these burps out. And, you know, so it's, it's contraindicated to what many people say, but it actually works, at least in my experience with my child, it definitely yes. works better. Why are we so, like, why is this information not more readily known? Why are we told other things? And, and I also want to say too, like, I have friends whose babies just were fine. They could breastfeed. Maybe they got one burp out and they were fine. So not every baby is going to need this amount of winding. Some babies are fine without it, but I think some babies have, you know, like we're all just different and it's, it's about being able to read your baby. But back to the question of why do you think that this isn't more readily available? I think, so there's a couple of things. It really does come into the big history aspect of how over the, you know, 30 years that I've been in this, what's actually happened through that time. But just to touch too on the point, I think you're right in saying that we are all different. Each baby is different. Yes, there are families out there that can certainly, with their baby, you know, breastfeed, get a few burps and baby will sleep. However, there will be times where that child will have a period of sleep that will not go as well and or a period of discomfort because it's a natural it's a natural thing. A buildup of gas is a natural thing and our newborns are, have a propensity for it. Not only that, we have changes in our diets as breastfeeding mums. We have changes on formulas, which is uh, one of the reasons, you know, it's this gas and burping and um, trapped air is becoming harder is that a lot of the ingredients in our formulas are different these days. Corn syrup, glucose syrup, maltodextrin, all causing gas and other adverse effects potentially. So our research shows us. So that said, though, I think, so I teach something called Nature's One Sequence, which you were talking about, about lying baby down, looking for these cues, using particular calming methods, sound bonding that allows the baby to relax enough because a, a tense baby tends not to burp. Um, so we need to bring them into relaxation in order to then um, have them burp, then recognize one of the six wind cues or two of them, and then bring them into a vertical position. And that vertical position then allows them to burp. Um, obviously, there's little things in that, like if baby's really unsettled, you would do this. So it's a whole, like it's a 10-step method that you work into your day, like you were saying on the nappy changing table, et cetera, um, that in the bath while you're breastfeeding, all sorts of things that allow you to release that air as you work and have your day moving and doing burping a lot, as you know. Uh, but in terms of the history, you know, when I first started, four-hourly feeding was the taught thing for all practitioners, uh, particularly in my country. Um, there's an organization here called Plunkett and they were very pro books written about it for alley feeding. So that's what I got trained with. And then when I was working in the UK as a maternity nurse, there was a book that was released. I don't like to name the book because it was very strict, very, very strict. And rightly so, there was a uproar within the community, within the world, really. It, got, it was a huge book. It was um, for its time that said we must be baby led, not clock led which I completely agree with. But from that, 
book, there was then the big swing from four hourly feeding, which was never strict. It was always baby led, but it was, you know, if baby happened to need it, you know, quarter of an hour beforehand or 20 minutes beforehand, we'd feed, you know. But uh, this book made it sound like you were working directly with the clock, not the baby. And so when that came out, there was a big swing towards demand feeding, as it's known today. But back then, demand feeding became, you know, it might you might feed two hours, you might feed a baby three hourly. And there was a rise, in my opinion, at that time for the symptoms of colic and reflux started to grow. At the same time, formula companies were starting to market a lot more to parents. And as breastfeeding advocates, I wasn't one of them at the time, obviously not loudly, you know, I was with my families, but not loudly, but there was a big push towards making breastfeeding easy and not making it complicated for families because we want them to breastfeed, of course. But in my opinion, that drive kind of left some of our mums hanging and questioning because obviously they were being told that, you know, this breastfeeding is a beautiful experience. You come to the baby comes to the breast, they feed, you know, and instead what some mums were getting were all these issues and trying to find the answers to those issues. And I'm not saying they did. I'm not saying there aren't professionals certainly out there doing it at that time, but it became a known thing to, to breastfeeding was easy, you know. And so through that, we then cluster feeding started to come about and a cluster feeding actually started from a book that was written by two lactation consultants that said that it was appropriate to feed a baby eight to 12 times a day. And in actual fact, the digestive system shows us otherwise, Christine, we and the research of for our infants and the transit times when we really dive into the research that was then built on top of that book to say that cluster feeding was a done thing. Cluster feeding, in my opinion, is a symptom of a baby feeling uncomfortable and they look to suck more when they're uncomfortable and that sucking then leads us to think they're hungry, of course, the rooting to suck or the need to, um, the poking, the chewing out of the tongue because they have more wind. And so cluster feeding, for those of you listening, is potentially when you feed from, say, four in the afternoon through to 10 in the evening. And look, again, this is all about family choice. I'm just another piece of the puzzle that says, well, this is what I've found. And so if cluster feeding is working for you and it feels right for you, go for it, you know, and baby's fine and happy and content and it's fabulous. But if you're having issues, then potentially cluster feeding is a part of that issue or or causing that discomfort. So within the history, we then find ourselves now kind of And on top of that, because of the discomfort, we now have the belief that 45-minute sleep cycles are natural and normal, whereas when I first trained, we knew that there was something wrong with the baby if they were sleeping for 45 minutes continuously for every sleep or being up for, you know, five hours crying and screaming. I mean, all parents instinctively know that, but the 45-minute sleep cycle has now been taught as a natural, normal thing when it's actually not. In my opinion, shows that the baby is uncomfortable and needs help. So I hope that was pretty long-winded, but I hope that kind of puts it into some kind of perspective. No, for sure. And and it's it's great to have the the history of that. And it's something that, you know, people I really trusted said, no, they're going through a growth spurt. She's going to cluster feed. Mm. And so she just wanted to nurse and nurse. And I tried to burp her in between. And those nights were the most awful nights. You know, and, and the more I'd feed, the worse she'd do. And I also think that was part of her breastfeeding strike. There was just a part of her that was just like, I need a change, you know, like I, I need something different. And when, when you encouraged me to switch to four hourly, it was a really, when you told me that, I don't know if you remember, I was like, what every four hours and only four ounces about, and And I was just shocked. And what was so interesting is that when, and I didn't, I didn't do this as a newborn. I fed on demand as a newborn. I didn't make this change. And she was, she was a little over four months. And when I did it the first day, and again, she was on bottles at this time, 
when she would fuss and normally my impulse would be to feed her, I'd be like, oh, there's a windy cue. Or I'd go and distract her, like go outside and whatever. And all of a sudden she wouldn't be quote unquote hungry anymore. And that's a great thing I've learned about my child is that if she's distractible, she's not hungry. If nothing yes. distracts her, she's hungry. <laughs> she's really, really hungry. I want that. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it was so, it was, it was amazing to see the change. And again, it didn't solve everything, but it, it solved a level of her being frustrated and it gave her digestive system space to like take a full feed. Cause that was the other thing. She wasn't getting full feeds with all these little feeds in her mouth, especially as a baby who had a lip and tongue tie revision, her mouth was getting really tired. So those four hours gave her mouth time to, to shift. And then she do, you know, like a good 10 minute feed and get a good satisfying feed and get that good hind milk and everything. So again, we're not saying this is what every mother should do and what every baby needs, but if you are having some of these issues that we're talking about, maybe try it. You can always go back. You can always go back, but maybe try it. Yes. And it takes a village, you know, it didn't answer all your questions or all the aspects for Athena, but it does take a village, you know, and that's what I love about freedom of choice. You can take a piece of this and a piece of that and, you know, mix it up and, and it works for your child. But if there is uh, problems, then it's seeking that right help. And I think in terms of the digestive infant gut, finding that help can be really hard. That connects the pain that they're having, because like Athena, she, you know, having those small snack feeds wasn't helping your supply. Um, she was tired. She was uncomfortable. She wasn't filling up. And therefore, also potentially having an overload of lactose within the way she was feeding, um, which was creating more gas. Uh, so when we give the digestive system for our babies space, we allow them to them in the stomach for those nutrients to be broken down appropriately before they get pushed on because our babies actually have a different system to us until around the age of two. Their food doesn't get held in the stomach like ours does. Um, It kind of is like a big push-through system. What goes in, if there's too much in there, whether it's air or gas and the stomach is feeling really full and bloated and lots of our babies are bloated these days, that milk will then be pushed onwards out of the tummy before it's had a chance to break down which then totally um, puts an imbalance on enzymes etc in the intestinal tract Um, potentially our babies have a really open intestinal wall so it can uh, increase uh, the fight against these nutrients because they're now passing through the wall and potentially causing intolerances Uh, and then then they move into, we have fat overload in the bowel, which it's not meant to move into the bowel. And just that kind of, for some babies, that can then affect this constant feeding, can affect weight gain. You know, I have babies that are being fed, it's rarer for sure, but are being fed, breastfed often, but not gaining weight. No mm-hmm. tongue or lip ties, but because they're being fed often, they're not getting the milk they require really to sustain it and the milk's going through the system far too fast Mm. Um, and they're having you know six nappies a day explosive you know there's something wrong there you know and it's back to to balance yeah yeah well and that's that's really what you teach is is the balance and really understanding the digestive track and I think it's it's so hard for moms too because we just want to nurture our baby and the impulse is feed them feed them. Yes. And it's, and I'm, I'm doing this in toddler years now. It's like, I feed her on a schedule because it works for her. Yes. <laughs> and she might see another kid at the library having a pouch and want like, you know, or wanting a snack or something. And I just I'm like, it's not snack time right now. I actually know you're not hungry. <laughs> And we're going to wait. We're going to wait. Yeah. 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 And that's yeah. it's one of the roles that we take on. We are our child's nutrition, nutritionist, really. We have to be if we are wanting them to be happy and healthy. And that means saying no sometimes in my book. Yeah. You know, it's like anything. You, The fourth biscuit, you're definitely going to be potentially, hopefully, saying no, you can't have that, you know, or even the third or second, you know, so we're doing the same for our babies because we understand 
how the sucking mechanism works, what is what is normal, what is abnormal, when to reach out for that help, and mm. what is my baby communicating to me and why, and understanding the body language. Uh, and, and like you say, far too many parents are not being taught how to calm their baby without being fed. Mm-hmm. Pop them to the breast, you know, because there are no, well, very little other ways until you know jiggle them or in actual fact jiggling breaks up the wind and can actually hinder the burping process you know so there's a lack of education and that's partly what I'm trying to change with my um, I've started these four infant uh, led evolutions Uh, one of them's for pregnant parents to learn postnatal care in the pregnant in the pregnant stages so they're actually training for the job you know gosh mm-hmm. uh, and because so many of our mums and dads get left to and I say mums and dads here but I'm meaning all everyone in the world who has a child you know not inclusive to male female aspect here just making that clear but we get dropped almost like off the cliff when you've right. done so much training on the pregnancy and then postnatally what you know, um, you're kind of left searching. So there's the pregnancy um, infant-led evolution uh, that I'm running. I'm also doing a colic and reflux evolution, a burping evolution. So who thought we'd need one, but we are, and um, and a solids evolution as well. And all of it really just is coming back to informed choice, learning more so that you can make those choices that are right for you. And um, and it's all based on the information and research we have thus far on an infant's digestive biology, and then of course my clinical research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is which is a lot. There is a lot of clinical research that you've done. You're not just this isn't just a nudge from observing a few a few babies. Mm-hmm. Well, this this has been sense. yeah, this has been so helpful. Can you you mentioned some of the things that you have? Can you direct people to where they can connect with you? And where they can get some of these very, very helpful guides. Yes, definitely. So uh, babycues.com is my website. And of course, I'm on um, Instagram, which is babycues underscore nurture with nature. Uh, and then on Facebook, um, babycues.info, it's an old one, sorry. Um, haven't been able to update that. But anyway, um, and where else? So the infant-led evolutions are on my website, the .com, babycues.com. And you can get my books there as well and the Burping Masterclass there too. And, of course, Christine, we're doing a discount, aren't we, for anyone who would like to, yes. to listen. So I think the information will be popped up. Yes, we'll put it in the show notes. Okay, brilliant. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, so we're putting 15% off for anything there for you. Great. And I hope it's, yeah. Great. Great. Well, thank you. And so what would be, as we wrap up, for... Maybe there's a new mom who's listening. And I think we're new moms until they're about three. <laughs> I think it's in there, really. Hey, if I've got a nine-year-old, I'm still a new mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We're always learning, that's for sure. Huge. What would be for, for the ones that are really in it, that that infant, which is a different kind of exhaustion. You know, all all parts of parenting are brilliant and challenging in their in their unique ways. And I think the little years, the infant years, and that like young toddler years are are challenging in a, a special way because they can't communicate, you know? So you have to really intuit a lot of like what they need. So with that mom, who's just got a baby that, you know, it's just, it's just having a hard time and just is crying. And she may be comparing herself to her friends whose babies sleep four hour stretches and, you know, don't spit up or whatever. What would you say to that mom? Mm. I would say, I would say walk to the mirror and look in the mirror and say to yourself, you're not meant to know this stuff sometimes. Be gentle on yourself that you are a good mother because you're feeling what you're feeling. It's embracing those feelings and knowing that they are okay to have those feelings. And then it's going, asking the question, what can I do about it? If your instinct says there must be answers here, I can't be the only one, then you bet there are answers. You know, somewhere out there, there will be the answer. Um, It can be hard to search for it. And just so you know, I offer worldwide consultations via Zoom. 
So if you want to reach out and if it's not me, I'll refer you to somebody else that I think might be more helpful. But yeah, just stay strong. I know everyone says that and strength is different to all of us. Do those little things during the day. It might be that you just turn on music and that's enough to keep you equal or at least a little more sane (laughs) because it's not easy and you are awakening to what a mother is. You're awakening to a place you've never been before. You're not meant to know what that place is going to feel like because you can learn all the education in the world. What I teach, you can learn that and you can put it into practice, yes. But those feelings are your own. And it's finding, I mean, I, I meditate. I love my meditation. I believe in energy, healing. There's a lot within mindfulness practice that I work with. And that can, you know, finding your thing, whatever it may be. And even if you manage to implement it once every week, <laughs> you know, but hold on to those things. Make sure you're filling mm. up somewhere mm. along the line. Yeah. Mm. And if you want to cry, hey, cry. Because that's good. (laughs) You know, don't worry about crying. And because I know lots of us, particularly in this world these days, do not have those friends sometimes because we've become more inclusive, you know, more insular. Yeah. That's the word. Thank you. Yes. So, but my heart goes out to anyone who's in that space that's finding it hard right now. Um, but feel free to reach out if you need. Yeah. And I, I, so yes, reach out to Philippa, do a consultation if you feel drawn. And what I love too about you is you, you have your information and you're also very like what, whatever works for you works for you and whatever it doesn't, doesn't, you know, you're not like militant about this is, this is how it is. You just present the information and give the moms the choice. So I just want to acknowledge your, your passion. You're so passionate about helping babies and their mamas and parents, and just really appreciate how you showed up for me during a very challenging time in my life. I'll be forever grateful for that. My pleasure, as you always know, Christine, it was um, great that we could connect. So thanks for having me on today as well. Very much appreciated. I hope it helps us. I'm sure it will.